Hey, welcome in everybody to Tuesdays Are For Talking, a weekly podcast brought to you from Mosaic Church in Austin, Texas. I am your host, Pastor Nathan Brown. This week, I got the opportunity to sit down with a good friend of mine, Pastor Shad Bell and his wife, Caress, lead Family Life Austin. It's a new church plant here in the Austin area. They were sent out from Mosaic Church last year, and man, they are now planting a church in the middle of a global pandemic. Holy smokes, you're going to want to hear this story, hear how things are going for them, and hear the great work and impact that they are already making in our community. Let's jump right into the conversation with Shad. Here we go. So excited today for this podcast. We have got Shadrick Bell, the lead pastor from Family Life Church in Austin, as I mentioned in the intro. But we are here with you now. Shad, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. Blessed and honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, we are really excited to talk to you. Obviously, you're a recent church plant through our Every Nation family, but also here in Austin, in, in our community. And of course, before that, if, if you weren't connected to Mosaic Church, you may not know this, but Shad was uh, on staff with us at Mosaic for a number of years as he was preparing to plant the church. And Shad, maybe that's a good place to start. Just tell us a little bit about yourself, when you got the call to be a church planner, whatever you like for us to know about you, and then we'll dive in a little deeper to your story, man. Cool. Awesome. Well, as Pastor Nathan said, my name is Shad and I serve as the lead pastor for Family Life Austin. And so we are in a period right now to where we are in preparations to officially plant and launch our church here in the downtown and Austin area. And if you guys didn't know, like Nathan said, I actually served there at Mosaic for three years as the campus ministry pastor. And before that moment, I was with our other Every Nation Sister Church in San Marcos, which is the Springs Church, where I did campus ministry. And so I actually went to school at Texas State University. University, where I got a chance to play college football. I got my undergraduate and graduate degree there. Spent some time doing an internship with the Michael Johnson Performance Center, where I trained professional athletes, which was awesome and great. But while I was there, I just knew that there was something greater that God wanted me to do. I was really effective in what I was doing, and I was helping train these athletes. But I felt like God in that moment was saying, hey, you just need to train people, not just physically, but spiritually. And so that led to a whole conversation of me going to the school of ministry for a campus ministry, which I didn't take seriously. I'm like, I'm just going to go there for the theological knowledge. And like God always does, he kind of stops you in your tracks and says that there's something more there. And I was pretty stuck on what decision I needed to make because I was offered an opportunity to go back and train athletes for the NFL combine. And so the money and the opportunity and the the prominence and all that good stuff was there. And I remember Pastor Morgan actually came to help teach our class there at the School of Ministry. And one day when we were eating dinner, he asked me a simple question, which was, what do you want to do? <clears throat> and, you know, beyond the the crazy superstitions and waiting for God to drop, you know, fire from a burning bush or, or a rhema word from heaven, um, nobody had actually <laughs> asked me that question. And I just said, man, this is something that I think that I want to do. Nobody can take away my graduate degrees or this internship opportunity. And so that one decision led to me doing campus ministry for nine years and helping be a part of our church plan in San Marcos and then eventually moving on to Austin to 
be at Mosaic for preparation to actually plant a church. And this is where we are now here at Family Life Austin. So I have the opportunity of doing that and have a great launch team and was sent out from an amazing church, both with finances and people. And I'm just here to say, like, as a church planner, that is special because I had no a lot of friends that are planting churches that weren't sent with <laughs> any people, no finances or from an amazing church. And so I'm able to do that alongside my wife, Caress, who keeps me sane. And she's doing campus ministry at Houston Tillerton University, which is one of the campuses that we're on. And we're we're rocking this thing out together right now with our launch team. So we were sent out um, basically last year in August. And so we're almost a year from being from Mosaic. So we miss everybody there. And as we have missed everybody there, even in the same city, we're actually very excited to do what we feel like God is calling us to do right now. That's awesome, man. So go back to three years ago. When did you and Caress get married? You guys are still sort of in that newlywed phase, right? I mean, how many years are you in now? We are almost at the three-year mark, so which is just enough time for me to say I still don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I met Chris in San Marcos when I was serving on staff there, and she was finishing up school. And eventually, through a lot of help and a lot of counsel, even through your counsel, Nathan, and a bunch of other people helping me just get over a lot of fears that I had. I just said, "Man, if we're gonna, if I'm gonna do this, we're gonna do it big." And so, on a mission trip to New Zealand with students from our campus chapter there at UT, I decided to make the most of the opportunity and proposed to her in the mountains of New Zealand just to remind every guy in the world that they couldn't pull off something like I did. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, never waste an opportunity like that. Yeah. That's great. Well, Shad, obviously I know your wife and she's incredible. Thank you. So you, you guys got married. You were working in campus ministry and also serving as a pastor at Mosaic over our, our campus ministry. Talk to us about sort of the last couple of years leading up to planting a church. You know, obviously I know you and so I know the story, but I think it might be interesting for people just to hear just how challenging that season was. I mean, I've talked to people who have been a part of church plants. They've been around church plants. They like the idea of a church plant and you, you sort of see the fun, the exciting, the new, but man, you had to really go through some stuff before God finally released you into what he had called you to. And it'd be great if you could just talk to us a little bit more about that season, man. Yeah. Um, I remember years ago, there was a wise man named Nathan Brown who told me, you never trust a leader without a limp. And <laughs> I got I got to give credit to uh, that from John Wimber, who founded the vineyard. That's a famous John Wimber quote, but it definitely holds up, don't it? <laughs> it does, man. And so I, I found myself in an interesting season of knowing what that limp was. And for me, it was the walk and the continual walk that I have with dealing with bouts of depression. Um, I found myself in a really um, crazy predicament where things were not working out between Caress and I. I was fearful if that relationship was even going to continue. Um, I found myself really burnt out of doing campus ministry, not because of the sake of campus ministry, but just because I found myself in kind of an Elijah moment in a cave. I had been so um, effective in what I was doing. And when fear and anxiety and depression hit me, I did not actually know how to respond to that. And so I found myself actually in a pastoral rehab center to actually deal with a lot of the wounds and grief that I had faced 
growing up and how that was affecting me in this moment, um, because I've always felt that if there was anything that I truly wanted to pursue on the back end of that was going to be devastation and destruction. And so because of that, I didn't want to enter into anything like that, whether it had been college football and then being diagnosed with a neuromuscular disease that ended my career or whether it had been things with the issue of family, it seemed like every time I had pursued something of great prominence that I felt like God had put on my heart, then again, devastation was to follow. And so I found myself in a particular period actually needing to lean on people more than I needed to lean on the gifts that God has given me. Uh, I found myself seeing where my character was not able to sustain the calling that God had on my life, and that was okay. Um, but I didn't know how to deal with that and navigate with that. And so um, from that period, after I left that pastoral and counseling and rehab center, the best thing that I needed to do was to find out or pursue how could I allow a group of people to come alongside me to continue to do the dream that God wanted to do in my heart. And what was most interesting about that particular period was before the the really hard time hit, I remember God speaking to me. And telling me, hey, like you have the ability to plant a church in the downtown and Austin area and reach these particular campuses and to do it with this particular woman. And so I felt inspired. I felt great. And as soon as that word kind of hit me in my soul and there were prophetic words that surrounded that from a lot of our global leaders, it was just like, um, there's no better way of saying this. All hell broke loose. <laughs> Every demon oh, in hell was pretty much <laughs> unleashed on me at that moment. And so I began to question God's call on my life more than what he had spoke to me. And I think that's a, a big thing that whether you're, you know, working in whatever field God has you in right now, or you're leading your family at home, or God calls you into something else with ministry, it seems like a word goes forth. And then from that place, there comes the, the trials and tribulations that come from that. And so um, I was blessed to have the ability to, one, come to Mosaic from that point, to, one, get healthy. Um, I think a big thing a lot of times is that people just try to push through their pains and their hurts, and there's something that God, I believe, in that moment was trying to instill in me that was greater than the calling. And so what I what I found in that moment of waiting, working through a lot of those hurts and pains was finding myself feeling like David, being anointed as king, but still having to go back to the shepherd's field. Mm. And so for me, I knew that God had called me to plant a church. It was shown very clearly by me going through our Every Nation Assessment Center, but there were things that needed to get fixed in my soul. And so the best thing for me was to go back and to do what I always knew to do, which was campus ministry, but to lead it in a greater capacity. And so that was one of the things that I learned was that all the stuff that we think that we're doing right now that we feel like is not useful <laughs> will be the very thing that God is going to use to prepare us for our next season. And so I needed to go back and feel that sense of rebuilding my confidence. And as time went on, what I saw was that the call of God didn't change on my life, but I was giving tools, both emotionally, spiritually, and from a leadership perspective of how to prepare myself for what's to come and growing in communication and being able to actually talk about what I went through and how that was actually very healthy. And so that was about a three-year period and through, you know, conversations with elders there at Mosaic and our spiritual leadership with Every Nation and the things we felt like God was telling us to do, we felt like we were in a place to move forward to what we were 
call it to do, which was to play in Family Life Austin. And so I'm thankful for that because I, my parents have always taught me, like, you never forget where you came from. And mm-hmm. so as we were sent out, I felt like we were sent out with a blessing and something that was put inside of us. Like there's a piece of mosaic that is with us as, as we go out to do these things. And it's, I'm more thankful for it now than now that we're in this pandemic and the state of our nation, because the things that I've learned in those hard seasons, in those counseling centers, in those long drives by myself alone or in fields that nobody even knows what parts of Texas those were and all the things that I learned has actually helped prepare me for what's to come. And the biggest thing that I can say is that, you know, every obstacle really is an opportunity when it comes to church planning and leadership. And so I look at this season, even that we're in right now, yes, it's tough. Yes, it's hard. Yes, I have my moments of discouragement, but I'm reminded by God that I've been here before. That's awesome, and, man. Like, he's brought me out of it. So, yep, every obstacle is an opportunity. <laughs> That's great. Well, in a few minutes, we're going to definitely get into where you are now and what you guys are doing. But you mentioned something there a few minutes ago about an assessment center. And I don't think a lot of people know what that is, man. Tell us here on our Tuesdays for Talking podcast, what is the Every Nation Church Planning Assessment Center. Cool. The Assessment Center is the place that you go to if you're crazy enough to think that you want to plant a church. <laughs> so that, that's a nice way of saying it. And then from that place- It's like the there, combine of church planners or what? It is like the combine of church planners. And there's a, a 16 bracket qualification that they look at the lens of you to not just see if you could actually be a lead pastor or um, be in a pastoral role, but can you be an actual church planner, which is just a nice lingo for saying starting a church. Can you go into nowhere and with the grace of God, make something out of nothing and start a church from the ground up? And so they specifically look at you and your spouse and potentially your your vision and dreams and structures and say, okay, this, is this an effective possibility of somebody being able to lead a church. So it's a very taxing and extenuous week-long process to where you will definitely question yourself. But upon coming out of it, whether you feel as though you passed or felt the assessment center, which you do get a sense of is a greater sense of God's calling on your life. And so for me, the good thing when I left the assessment center was like the call of God's there, the vision is there. Um, You just have went through a really hard time. So let somebody come along side with you and help you and give you more time so that when you lead out, you'll be leading stronger than where you are now. So 16 different metrics, really. Can you, do you remember? So what some of those are, I'm sure people will be curious to hear like how all that works. If you're not like, you know, divulging national treasure <laughs> secrets or something, top secret yeah. information. Some of them are like the emotional and spiritual health. Um, some of them are your ability to preach, your ability to cast vision, your ability to evangelize, um, your experience of being able to do something from an entrepreneurial standpoint. Those are just some of them. So, so you preach in front of how many people at this thing? <laughs> well, you preach in front of um, your classmates, but you also preach in front of other groups of pastors and people and folks that you don't expect to be there to nicely interrogate you and question you and make you feel as though you're in a real church setting. So it's pretty fun. And there's a lot of surprises that you don't know that's going to happen, but they are intentionally putting you in pressure cook situations to see how you're going to respond. 
That's that's actually pretty brilliant um, because I can't imagine anything more stressful than trying to plant a church. <laughs> we talked, we interviewed uh, Greg Mitchell last week, and Greg talked to us a little bit about the difference between stress and anxiety. And in that podcast, if you if you listened or if you haven't, you should go back and listen to it. But you know, he talked to us about stress being just the situation that you're in, but anxiety being you know a way that you respond. To that stressful situation. And mm-hmm. so uh, he talked to us about stressful situations being unavoidable, but anxiousness and anxiety, you know, be, being a, a natural response, but perhaps a response that's detrimental for you. So with that mm-hmm. being said, you walk into a stressful situation called the assessment center. How do you deal with the anxiety of the moment and not, and not knowing like what's going to happen? Am I going to, am I going to pass or fail this thing? And maybe you could tell us a little more about the, the way they send you out with the levels of affirmation or not that they might give you. So how do you deal with the anxiety of being in that assessment center? I would say that I didn't know how to deal with it, but I learned how to deal with it as I went. And so I learned as I went, you know, you'll know as you go, this is what I like to say. And so to all of the hidden church planners and missionaries and future lead pastors that are there at Mosaic, you won't know until you go. And what I found that as I went was this very simple concept was that anxiety for me was putting my faith in something that may never happen. I was putting my faith in the what ifs of what if I don't pass the assessment center or what if they see something inside of me that says, no, you're not qualified to be a pastor or the list can go on and on and on. And I found myself putting my faith in what I didn't know. But as I went through it, I saw that those were the very things that I needed to know to one really evaluate who I was, but those things actually brought real affirmation and confirmation for what God was calling me to do. Although I thought that those were going to be the deterrents for me not doing what I felt like I was being called to do, which was to lead a church. So here's a specific example. I thought because of my history of depression and anxiety, that that would be the thing that would actually disqualify me from actually leading a church. But one of the greatest parts of the assessment that I got on the back end of my evaluation was that I was seeing that I was being tested on if I had the ability to endure and persevere through hard times. Because they told me that one of the qualifications of a lead pastor is this, is that you must be able to work through hard times and endure, especially if you're going to be a church planner, because you're going to face trials and tribulations. And so the very thing that I was fearful of I had to actually come back and see, man, that was the thing that God was trying to affirm in me. And so what I found in that particular time through that assessment center was that things are very stressful. We can't avoid stress as much as we want to. But what we can do is say in the midst of stress, we can find the things that we're being anxious about, i.e. put in our faith in something that may not ever happen. And in those moments, put it into God's hands. And so that was the beginning process of me to show me that I am not in control of everything <laughs> and that no lead pastor is and no church planner is really control as a whole. is really just an illusion. <laughs> None of us have control. God is sovereign. He's the one in control. And so when I find myself in those anxious moments, even now, I have to constantly put those things back into God's hand and say, OK, whatever. Whatever it's going to be, it's going to be, you know, I can't stop certain stuff from happening, from happening. But what I can do is give it to God, adapt and know that he's really the one that's in control. And from that place, I really did see okay, these are the things that Shad is really good at. These are the things that Shad is not so good at. 
And these are the ways that God has actually called him and affirmed him to continue to do what he felt like he was going to do. And for others of those who didn't actually make it as with a passing grade through the assessment center, they actually felt really affirmed because they left there with a greater sense of knowing, okay, this is something that I'm not supposed to do either right now or I'm not supposed to do at all. But they give, they left from that place actually having a, a idea of what they could do in ministry better. So how many people were with you when you went through the assessment center? So for me, I think there were about at least eight different couples that were there. So it just depends on the, the class. They used to only have one a year. Now they have two. They actually just finished one um, two weeks ago in Nashville. Oh, wow. And to your knowledge, how many of those eight have gone on to plant churches since that time? So out of that, out of those eight couples who went through the assessment center, three of us have now planted a church. Well, our, our hat's off to you, man, for doing it. As you mentioned, the last August is kind of when we, when we sent you out from Mosaic. And then you did a soft launch in January. Is that correct? Yes. Well, actually in April. So our original goal before Rona 2020 was actually to plan <laughs> April 19, 2020. And so what we decided to do was launch a online um, campus of our church. So that is what we did then. So you guys have not had any official meetings in person yet. You have, you have launched an online church, but y'all, done, y'all, y'all were doing some gatherings prior to the real outbreak of coronavirus. Is that correct? Yes. So basically for the first six months of us being sent from Mosaic, we had what we called vision nights. And that was an opportunity for one to grow a relationship with one another and to see what God was calling us to do um, here within our church. And so every vision night, we actually talked about who we are, what we did, what's your part, why do we do it, and how can you even get involved with what we're doing within the city. And so essentially, every one of those vision nights were preparing us to understand, again, who we're going to be as a church, to grow in relationship with one another and having opportunities to put people in spots of particular places that they would want to serve in, but actually being in a part of helping creating those departments. And so we did that for six months. And then going into January, our plan at that particular time was to not only continue to have our vision nights, but we also started having like fun day outings, which were very evangelistic to the community. We started having worship nights together and we were doing that in preparation to lead up what was going to to be our in-person launch because at that particular moment when we had our worship nights, what was ended up happening was that everybody was basically in their positions as if they were going to be serving during a Sunday morning. And so it was an opportunity for us to both practice, but to actually be in the community and serve them too as well. And so that's what we were doing all the way up to April. And then again, the coronavirus hit and I had to make a decision with our church to say, okay, we can either wait or we can establish who we are online. And that's what we decided to do. And so. Holy smokes, man. That is crazy, Shad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. It was definitely crazy. And I had to get out of my out of my feelings um, <laughs> uh, to see that, you know, the church has always been a people, but before it ever was a building. And I actually remember something that Pastor Barnabas would always say online. You still hear him say that online or in person. He says that the church is here to serve people, 
not the other way around. Mm-hmm. And so I just said, well, we as a church, the people will figure out how we're going to serve people in the community and online. And so far, our people have, have loved it. And we've seen other people come alongside our church because of that. So it's been a unique opportunity. That is amazing, man. So obviously here at Mosaic, we have been established for quite a while and in a building and had a routine and we're doing things. And then all of a sudden coronavirus hits and we've got to completely revolutionize what we do and try to go be the church in an entirely different way and really kind of do church, if you will, which is a weird thing to say, but you know what I mean, in an entirely different way. I, I cannot even imagine what it was like to be in your shoes, to be gearing up just to get started and then have the rug, you know, pulled out from underneath you in a, in a, in a sense here by coronavirus. When that hit, like, talk me through what you were thinking about as it relates to, do we plant? Do we not plant? Do we start? Do we not start? Do we, I mean, how do you weigh all that stuff out? When Was that like a group decision that you guys made? Was that like Shad on the top of some hill out in the middle of the hill country <laughs> hearing from God? Like, how do you come to make that kind of hard decision, man? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely difficult. And I could say that I don't envy any church that is already established because it's one thing to say, how do I gather our, you know, 20, 30, 40 member launch team to continue to have services with one another? It's another thing to say when you're a thousand members plus <laughs> to be able to reevaluate that. So, one thing that helped me was perspective was that I wasn't the only one that was going through it. Um, the hardest part for us was the the excitement that our team had, the faith that they had to actually want to launch because we just saw God's provision in hands there. We had maybe a few months before that found ourselves in a really cool predicament where we were able to get a building and a facility um, at a local elementary school. And so our team was excited and I came to them as a group and I kind of gave them two options to say, okay, April or September, they said April. And so I think the hard part for me was wondering if their spirits were crushed because April didn't happen. And Mm. that was actually a very poor judgment because whose spirits were the most crushed was actually mine. Mm. (laughs) You know, when you think about the time that God first spoke to me about planting this church, it was actually in 2012. And so then you go through this waiting period and then you go through another hard period of depression and anxiety, all the stuff that I talked about before. And you're right at the brink of launching this thing that's been in your heart for years. And then it stops again. And so the, the thoughts that went through my mind is, did I make the wrong decision? Um, have I led my people in a wrong way? Is this even what I'm supposed to do? Am I in a moment where it's like I'm trying to go one way and Paul is getting stopped and being directed by the Holy Spirit? You mm-hmm. know, like do something else. All of these thoughts and questions. So I actually wasn't able to make that decision by myself. And I think that that is something that, again, I've learned from my past experiences of being at the Springs and at Mosaic is that I serve alongside a leadership team. I am not the ultimate leader in decision making. (laughs) So what I did (laughs) is that I I talked to leaders within every nation. I talked to Pastor Morgan. I talked to our board um, that we have established with our church and wisdom and counsel. And more importantly, with all of that, I talked to my wife (laughs) and and she got in my head and said, well, did God tell you to do this or are you worried about how it's being done? Mm. And so what I found myself, like most things in my life, was my 
expectation didn't meet my reality. So then I began to question God. And so it's like, yes, Shad, you want to meet in person, but everybody here is saying that we still want to meet. It just looks differently. And so as hard as that was, we actually took our date that was going to be our potential launch Sunday and we made it our first ever vision Sunday. And so we took, um, as the song graves the gardens right we huh. we took what seemed bad and we made it good and so we've just made it a a date that we said that we're going to keep in our mind for years that april 19th is going to be a day that we celebrate <laughs> and say this is the the time where we actually launched our church and it just so happened to be online and when the opportunity comes for us to have a physical launch where we get to meet in person then that day will be celebrated. But to take what we first decided to do and to do it, but just looking at it in a different way. So Mm -hmm. if it was not for the counsel of other people, um, me humbling myself (laughs) and doing something different and making the most of it and how our people were excited about it, then it wouldn't have happened. But I'm so thankful for it because this time, again, has been an opportunity for us to prepare to do more things. I look at what our first online experience was to what it is now. It is light years difference to the extent that people are like, I can't believe you are doing this as a church plan. And so to that, I think about we would have missed that opportunity to do that. And we're getting some ducks in a row that I feel like whenever the opportunity does present itself for us to meet in person, it'll be really great. And so I still battle a lot of those thoughts. I still battle a lot of those feelings, to be honest, week in and week out. But even if the coronavirus hit or it didn't, I would still battle that. That's just something that I've naturally battled with. And I think God is allowing this to happen so that I can trust and depend on him more and depend on our people too as well. Well, I, we've, we've talked about a little bit, not you and me today, but we're about to. Um, I've <laughs> talked about with people sort of the, the trifecta of complexities that we're dealing with right now, which is, of course, we have a health pandemic, which has spurred on an economic crisis. Um, it really started even, I think, before when we had the global oil markets crash and burn. And then we walk into coronavirus, which causes greater economic challenges. And then, of course, as you know and are well acquainted with as a African-American man, we've had a sort of renewed focus and attention on the race issues that we've had in our country. And mm-hmm. um, all of this hits at the same time while Shad and Caress and Family Life Austin are trying to launch a church. Like, congratulations. Here you go. <laughs> These are the three things that you get to walk into. But I know that you did recently, you did a joint service with our sister church, Luminous, down in San Antonio, and you Mm -hmm. had been sort of waded into that third topic. I'm definitely curious, man, how did that go going in there, doing sort of bringing two churches together for one online experience to talk about one of the most pressing issues of our day? Yeah, I think that one, it went well. It went well for the simple fact that I believe that not just with the Every Nation family, but the universal or global family as a whole when it comes to us being as believers is that I think that more than ever churches are combining their efforts in one another and coming alongside each other for the greater good that we face. And I think that whether we look at the global pandemic that we're facing, the economic crisis, or the state of our nation in regards to race and injustice, I think that we as a body of believers are seeing that this is bigger than what our church can handle. 
each of us like hold a piece of who the body is, but now the body is coming together more to be able to talk about those things. And one of the things that I told um, Pastor Ben, and I said that in private, and I said that when I first got on stage, when we were able to talk was, are we willing to lose people? And that wasn't like me being this prophet or doom. But what I do know is, is this, whether we're talking about race, whether we're talking about sexuality, controversial issues, or whether we're talking about like our money and our finances, whatever our idol is, people can get most defensive about. And so I just knew that going into a week in and week out basis, whether we were on that panel or not, that I know that I'm battling something spiritually every week that people may not want to understand or see or take their hands off of. And so what I thought was good of this and what I tried to model for our church and for everybody else was that there's the really simple concept that has helped frame a lot of my preaching, which is the concept of the Imago Dei, that every person is made in the image of God. And so what that means is that every person holds a piece of who God is in his nature and in his character. And when we come together and we have conversations, you know, in a church setting or not in church setting or just in relationship with one another, we actually get to experience more of who God is together than we ever could apart. And what I have found out in my life, whether it be relationships or my marriage or whatever else it may be, a lot of times when I get upset, I try to blame it on this is this person's personality or their thought process or thinking or whatever else it may be. And I remember God speaking to me a long time ago and saying this, maybe it isn't all the things that you're making an excuse about. Maybe it is a piece of God that is within inside of them that you're actually rejecting. And so when I saw that, having that concept, I'm like, okay, this may not be as much as the issue that's at hand, but maybe God is actually pulling something or showing something of who he is inside of somebody else that we actually want to reject. And the more that we actually stay apart from each other, the more we're actually rejecting the face of God. And even if we look at something in regards to the racial climate or injustices that we're facing today, when you look at it from an economic perspective, black, white, Asian, brown, all the races in between, from a social economic standpoint, if every person actually invested in their own community, we as a society financially would make it. We actually don't need each other to survive financially. But if we want to fulfill God's word, the Great Commission, God's purpose, God's ultimate redemptive plan, we actually need each other to do that. And so when I came into that situation to talk, I was telling people, in regards to a body of believers, you may not feel like you need each other individually or collectively, but to do God's will and plan, we actually do. That's so good, Chad. That's really, really good. I've had obviously a lot of conversations with people around this topic. And one of the things that's interesting is that as our church, Mosaic Church, started wading into this conversation pretty deeply, I don't know, five, six years ago, maybe even seven years ago now, uh, one of the things that we found was over time, we had people that would tell us, you know, guys, you should really stop talking about race so much. While we're talking about race so much, you should get back to the gospel. <laughs> this isn't the gospel message. This is like something different. And and now that I sort of look at where societally we've landed at this moment, at this juncture in July of 2020, and, and I look back, I just think to myself like, Man, if the church of Jesus Christ had recognized this as a gospel issue, and if many more churches had faced it head on and people weren't so concerned with 
whether or not this is meeting the paradigm of what they've always thought, you know, Great Commission style evangelicalism was all about, maybe we wouldn't be here today. Maybe we would have found a different path. Shad, let me ask you, do, do you see the conversation around race and justice in America as a gospel centric issue? I would say that it is. You know, I think a lot of times people want to separate things like, is it a skin issue or is it a sin issue? It's both. You know, if racism is the symptom, then sin is the virus. And I think that people try to separate two different things, but I feel like we as a church actually need to address it and look at it from a different perspective. I feel like people in general, myself included, we can be very myopic in our theological thinking. And so we have issues with our orthodoxy, the way that we study the Bible or understand it. And then from that place, we have a very poor view of our orthopraxy of how we live it out. And so I think that once we have a greater understanding of the Bible, understanding that we're talking about real people who live real lives, who live real in real culture with real injustices and real things that they face, and we begin to understand that, then I think from there we can actually apply it to our cultural context right now. But how do we get to that place? It's in having those conversations with people and having different experiences and actually seeing the, the depth of sin. And I think that this is where I think as believers, once we know that God has saved us and redeemed us, that many of times that we forget the power of sin. Yes, you are, you know, the righteousness of God. Yes, you are saved from eternal damnation. But it's it's a really simple concept. But the the concept is this, is can I be saved and redeemed and on my way to heaven and still sin? The answer is yes. <laughs> you, <Yes>. know? <laughs> you know, like, can I be saved and love God and be righteous, but Shad still has anger issues or Shad still says dumb things or Shad still battles sometimes with, you know, battling like lust and emotion and all those things that nobody wants to talk about. It's like, can I love God and still be in right standing with God and still be pure in God, but fight those issues? It's yes. And so I think mm-hmm. that so many times that we forget the weight and the gravitas of sin and actually forgetting that we are free from the penalty of sin. But many of times outside of beyond God's grace and mercy, that the consequences of sin are still there. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we look at the sin of our nation and the wound of our nation, and when we look at scriptures that says, you know, those sins will actually go back to, you know, the second, third and fourth generation. Is there a possibility of those things still being here today, even though we live a New Testament in Christian life? It is. You know, those things are there. And I think when sometimes people either on either side of the spectrum can get bent out of shape, it's like the things that you're most sensitive about is probably the thing that God is pressing on the most. Man. And so I and I can even say those things for me, like. As much as I'm ex- I'm proud to be a African-American male, I'm not prideful about it. And so all of my all of who I am is subject underneath the lordship of God. But people have to also understand that the lordship of God actually shows this concept of the Imago Dei. So when people say things, for example, of man, church stuff is getting too hard and I'm just going to go away and just, you know, be with believers or be in these small settings where it's just me and my own thinking, or I don't want to be around 
different races or thoughts or different things like that, I'm like, man, you're going to really have a hard time with heaven because heaven is packed with a lot of people from a lot of different nations and creeds. And so I think people right. need to be able to realize and understand that the that the Bible is true and that instead of, you know, just canceling people or canceling the things that we view in this world, it's we have to remember that God has brought us here to be agents of healing and reconciliations and redeemers. And so we're just not supposed to rid of stuff. We're supposed to come to the table to make it better. That's but the so way good. for us to make it better is that we have to actually understand sin, understand to have a greater sense of theology and how do we work to do that together. Man, I have a lot of empathy for the whole cancel culture thing because I, I think that you know people are fed up, rightly so, with many issues that face our country. But where it gets hard is that as Christians, we can we can look at the same issue as someone who's a non-Christian, and it's a really really good first step for us to acknowledge that the issue is an issue, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's that's been a problem, obviously, especially among white evangelicals, to identify that racism is still an issue today. But once we can agree on what the issue is, man, how we move forward is very different. If we're followers of Jesus or if we're just followers of humanistic, naturalistic ideas. And so while I can empathize with cancel culture, I still firmly believe that Christianity should be a redemption culture. What say you? Yes, I I believe that it should. The scripture points that it is. Um, And a lot of things start with empathy. You know, I have a lot of conversations, whether it's with people in high political places here um, in Austin that you know, are more sided to the left or whether I have conversations with those who are high in law enforcement, with those on the right. And many times when I have those conversations, many people want the same thing, but the practices of that are different. And I think that it's important when I look at the totality of the situation, I have a close friend there at Mosaic. He always talks about when it comes to invoking change, you have to look at things that you can control, that you can control. And what do you have influence over? And so what I look at is what place of influence has God given me? He's given me influence with the church, with believers, which is who I directly talk to and who I speak to. I can't necessarily deal as much with those who are not of the faith of Jesus Christ because I can speak to them from a different level. But yet I do have influence with those who don't believe in Jesus. And so with that, I look at the the what would be deemed as the secular things here of this world and how do I actually engage into those communities and actually use the resources that they have to help meet a need. Um, that's why our church's vision statement is the city needs what we have. So every issue that we see in our community and our surroundings, God has called us to be the answer for it. He's placed us in certain places to make that happen. And I think that when we, again, come together to figure out those things and works, and we should be frustrated, we should be upset, and it makes very much sense to quit and walk away. And you can even have your moment where you feel like you're doing that, but your moment really is for you to rest, to get back into the fight and to engage. And especially when it comes into Christian culture, per se, and me and you had a conversation um, years ago about this when we went to um, kind of a, a a church conference or something like that. I just talked a lot about the history of the African-American community in the church and how even some of our theological seminaries and doctrines and things and backgrounds that were placed here in the United States were actually founded in the midst of some of the greatest periods of racial injustice and 
times where people of color were not valued as much. And so now I think is a time more than ever where people can help bring their perspective into the gospel that's there, because the same way that we may preach or live out the gospel here may be different than if we're in Angolia or Taiwan. But the issue is that the gospel still works. We just need to actually be able to understand how to apply it in our context. That's great, Shad. That is really, really good. Well, man, what is next for Family Life? I mean, are you guys eyeing a return to on-site meetings? Or I say return. Are you eyeing an initiation of on-site meetings? Do you guys have a a date on the calendar? Are you still in a wait-and-see moment like just about everybody else? Yep, we're in a wait and see moment with like four or five different options of what this can look like. And so I go kind of, I start from worst case scenario to maybe best case scenario. So best case scenario was, you know, Labor Day weekend. But since we actually meet in a elementary school that is governed through the leadership of AISD, AISD has actually decided to not have um, school in person for the first three weeks, which actually goes past that date. So that option, number one, is, is gone. Worst case scenario is, is that we plan and 2021. And sometimes maybe people don't want to hear that, but that's the <laughs> that's the truth of it. And mm-hmm. so for us, it's you know, then there's other options of do we look at other facilities? Do we look at options? So we have, you know, three or four different things where we've looked at, okay, what would it look like to start in late September or October, November, December, January, and then from there, all the different options. So all I have to say is kind of wait and see. But for us, each and every week is how can we be more consistent with our online presence? And then how do we add little things to make it more enjoyable for people to be able to engage in worship with us and also things throughout the week? So that's a really roundabout answer again for we have things in place, but we don't know. <laughs> so Shad, you've talked a little bit about obstacles being opportunities, and you've talked about how now is the time for the church to make a difference. Tell us a little bit more about what Family Life is doing. Before you even have your first in-person Sunday gathering, what are you guys doing to be the church in the city of Austin in this time? Man, that's a great question. I think one of the things for us, like what you talked about when we talked about this concept of every obstacle is an opportunity we can get down on ourselves of like, man, we're meeting in school and we can't meet. But if we were meeting in that school, we would be paying rent to that school. So then we said, okay, if we were going to be paying rent to that school, how can we actually meet the need of the school? The school that we're meeting in, 80% of the kids are underneath the poverty line. The poverty line. So we knew that as kids were going home, that they weren't having meals, that they didn't have internet access to do their work, that they didn't have computers. So for us, we have not only taken the resources that we would use monthly, to be able to rent that facility, but we have invested it back into those parents. And so we've helped give them food. (laughs) We help provide clothing options, probably too here in the near future if they need that. We've given them computer access and things for education. Um, We've met a lot of the needs of those who are homeless in the city. Um, Unfortunately, with some of the just continual sadness that's happening. We've been able to help pay for a funeral of someone who was actually murdered here in the city of Austin, which is a really big deal that we got to play a part of. Um, Some of the other things, we know that a lot of our college students were displaced from their dorms, so we were able to get them back home and provide them groceries each and every week because we know college students get hungry even when they're in school, so we think about how they don't have that now. (laughs) And so we've been able to take our resources honestly and help be the church. And so we find different opportunities in every sphere of our influence here in the downtown, 
area and urban areas of Austin and help make a difference. And so for us, the greatest resource that we have has been people in our finances and how we're meeting those needs week in and week out. Man, that is really great. That is awesome. We're definitely glad that you guys are here. Obviously, we have been praying for you behind the scenes and publicly, and we're going to continue to do that. We're really excited that you are in the city, that even though you have left Mosaic to go do something, you haven't left the city, you haven't left the community. And I believe that our community needs more leaders like you. And we believe that our community needs more churches like yours and like ours. And it's not, you know, as, as Pastor Morgan has said many times, it's not that the city needs just another church, but it may need another kind of church. And I believe that you're launching another kind of church that's going to be transformational and revolutionary in a sense in reaching people with the true true word of the gospel here in Austin. So we are really, really glad that you're here, man. We're championing you. We're celebrating you. We're glad to hear your story and know where you are today. Thanks so much for joining us, man, on Tuesdays or for talking. We couldn't do this without you. So please keep it up. Keep up the great work and keep furthering the gospel and the kingdom of Jesus right here in Austin, Texas. Thank you so much. And we love you all. And And um, it's been a privilege to be on here today. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Tuesdays Are For Talking. For more information about how to get and stay connected to us, head over to mosaicchurchaustin.com and be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We hope you'll make plans to join us next week.